The Holistic Counseling Podcast is part of the practice of the Practice Network, a network of podcasts seeking to help you market and grow your business and yourself. To hear other podcasts like Behind the Bite, Full of Shift, and Impact Driven Leader, go to www.practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, where you discover diverse wellness modalities, advice on growing your integrative practice, and grow confidence in being your unique self. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. I'm so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. If you're a new listener to this podcast, I want to say welcome. As a listener, you have access to my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, we'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to attract your ideal holistic clients. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com, scroll down, enter your name and email address today. And moving on to today's guest... Her name is Cynthia Schwartzberg. She's been my teacher at Brain Spotting Trainings, also a mentor, a true leader, and she's a well-recognized leader in the groundbreaking brain spotting field. She spent decades using brain spotting and other highly regarded techniques to help individuals and couples discover their authentic selves and lead richer, freer, and more meaningful lives. Cynthia is currently a practicing therapist in Atlanta who delights in the voyage to authenticity. She and her clients embark on daily. Using the latest in neuroscience as well as ancient wisdom traditions from around the world, she has devoted her life to going as far as possible into the experiences of both curiosity and wonder. She wrote the book, The Curious Voyage, A Rule-Breaking Guide to Authenticity. Welcome to the Holistic Counseling Podcast, Cynthia. Thank you. So glad you're here. Oh, it's glad glad to be with you. It's great. Thanks. So can you share with my listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work? Anything new you got going on? Um, sure. I, as you know, as you, as we speak about in the book that I've been a seeker for many years um, for self-growth and self-transformation. And along my journey, they, I stopped and paused professionally with core energetics, which is working with energy and consciousness. And then through that, I learned EMDR back in the 90s and then started to study with Dr. David Grand and then became a brain spotting um, therapist, consultant, and now a trainer and have a lot of passion for it. And it's so open and creative that I start to develop new ways of working through brain spotting. Isn't that the best part of brain spotting, the flexibility with it? Yes, yes. So um, I'm very grateful to it professionally for that flexibility. And also what I love is watching other therapists thrive and grow professionally by applying it to their own practices because it's a way of working where you can integrate it into what you're already doing. So it's not like you have to learn a whole new thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what's awesome about it. But I wanted to just read from, um, I know you had, this was mentioned with your book, this quote, to ask those questions that will open the door to possibility, go beyond the surface to find your true authentic self, which I love that. Great start. So what inspired you to really look at this book, to write it about authenticity? Why is that important? 
Um, authenticity to me is about helping somebody come home to themselves and to live their life from their heart and from their true nature. So we as therapists are invited into another person's life experiences and supporting and helping them find their way into what feels good for them, what feels in like neurobiologically, we'd say like in neuro, in regulation, in flow, just so that people can be in their flow of life. So along the way of my journey with working with people, I've often done different processes or exercises in session to help clear away that which is causing them disharmony. And somehow people would say to me, you know, did you write that exercise? Like, can you repeat what we did? So I realized that I've given a wealth of information and knowledge and decided I can't reach everybody, but I have the passion and desire to support people. And um, one way of doing that is through a book because not everybody wants to come to therapy. Not everybody needs to come to therapy. Exactly. They might need a tweak. They might just want like a little something. They don't need like a whole hour of somebody's time. So, and it's not right for everybody. You know, we all find our way to healing. So I got inspired to pull together the journey that I've often taken people through. And I think another part of that, too, is that people have that reference, too. Because I think clients forget, right? We do things in session. They'll be like, wait, I'm supposed to do this for homework. I forgot what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we as therapists are so in, in our own, in our zone about <laughs> our art of being a therapist that we also forget, like, I don't know what I just did with you, but it seems exactly. right. <laughs> You're not I'll there anymore. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um so that was one thing. And then the gift of these exercises is one of my colleagues who has done work on herself for many years said, like, you can always pick up and learn something new or at a different phase of our life. Mm. So if you think about growth and change, like every time that we're growing and changing, we can use similar tools, even though we may not be in the same place. So you might even have a different experience another time in your life. And right, right. And my sense is that I like to give people tools. I don't like like a book that teaches me what I possibly could do, but it doesn't show me how. Mm, yeah. So that's what also inspired me is to give the how and the practical and to give stories that people could relate to. Yeah, it was really easy to read your book and just I could really connect with it because I, I like your examples. There was a lot of good examples in there. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. It was not easy. It was I know, right? stretching me <laughs> in you every direction. Yeah. And I know you mentioned a rule book. That's one thing that I thought was interesting that we all follow in life and can keep us stuck. So can you talk more about that and how do we change our rule book? Yeah. So in our subcortical and in our, like meaning just like beyond our conscious awareness, right? Yeah. And even in our conscious awareness, there's certain things that we know we should or shouldn't do. But there's also things that through our culture, through certain traditions, through our family system, through the neighborhoods that we were brought up in, 
um, through advertising, we're bombarded with all these messages that get into us. In the book, I talk about like my mother who got under my skin that get into us beyond our awareness. So we make choices about what we like and what we don't like or who we want to date and who we don't want to date. Or sometimes we're making choices in reaction or in rebellion against what we were brought up with because it's like, I'm not going to be that way kind of attitude. And so I call those like our rule book. So it's the rules, the conditioning that we are on automatic pilot about without questions like, do I like that? Don't I like that? Does that feel right to my heart? Does that not feel right to my heart? And I'm not, I'm not saying like from an egoic way, but I'm saying more from like a fully embodied sense of like, what is the truth? Like there's a lot of rules in society that some um, are not always right, but we do need to follow them to have society, right? So I'm not saying like break the laws, but I am saying that like I remember being brought up with somebody, I was told, well, it's okay to tell a white lie. Well, first of all, what's a white lie? And like, why are you calling it white? And then second of all, like a lie is a lie. Right. So, and I was never good at doing that. So that might be a rule that I was brought up with. Like, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. So the so, rule book can be from our family of origin as well. Yes, absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Um, or, you know, and a lot of us will say, well, that's the way we do it in our family. You know, when you ask people, like, why do you do that? It's like, I don't know. That's how we always do it. That's the way the, you know, Smiths, the Joneses, the whatever your last name is, I'm using those traditional names. But that may not be, you know, your way. That may not be the right way. Um, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever questioned it? So that some of those kinds of things, but mostly looking at the our automatic pilot, like what do I do without really thinking about? And because once I start to bring awareness to something, then I have more flexibility for change and growth and movement with it. So how do we grow our self awareness? We start by like a one good way to start is. To write down keywords, like this is an exercise from the book. What, like if you write down keywords every day that come to you, you might start to see patterns. Like in a short, like daily review of like how you felt, and then you might realize that there's certain thoughts or ideas behind those feelings, and then then you can start to question those thoughts and ideas. So um, that's one way of going about it, but. The key is to become aware of something like to just, that's why it's called the curious voyage. It's like start to get curious about things by asking yourself just a few questions. Does that look familiar? Does that sound familiar? Do I always do that? Is that always right? Is that, do I like that? Don't I like that? Why do I not know that I don't, whether I like that or not like that? Was I ever allowed to have my opinion? You know, in those kinds of inquiring, self-inquiring kinds of questions. Because I know you talk about finding your inner guide. So I guess, is this kind of like using intuition as well to put that question out there and just see what comes up inside of you? 
Well, for some of us who are less connected to our intuition, it's more by starting with um, getting curious about our patterns and our behaviors. And in the book, we do talk about getting more in touch with that intuition. So by getting aware of our likes, our dislikes, our patterns and behaviors, in that observing and inquiring, we start to develop an inner observer. When we start to develop an inner observer, we're starting to also develop a sense of hearing ourselves. And we have that hearing ourselves that helps us to start to connect to our intuition. And we can begin to also feel in our body how we feel when we have certain thoughts and patterns and behaviors, which then starts to open us also that channel to our intuition up more. So we have to take it in stages. And some people are farther along than others. Of course, yeah. Because everybody's got intuition, or some people call it wise mind, whatever you want to call it. I think right. it's just that inner knowing and and really making that connection and believing it's there. Because I know a lot of clients, I'll ask them about intuition. They'll be like, I don't have it. <laughs> right. It's not there. It doesn't exist. But I think because they push it down so much and don't listen and, no, that can't be true. Or, you know. Well, that's I, where the rule book comes from is like, yes. I've, I've kind of talk, uh, uh, disconnected myself from it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is really a journey a voyage back to connecting to it, which is then the authentic self that we're talking about. It just makes me think that a, a lot of clients that they don't know often, this is so true, that they don't know who that authentic self is. And it it is a journey, like you said, the the name of the book, right? Because I, I like the metaphor you use of like, we're sailing on our, we're getting on the boat, we're sailing and... <laughs> <laughs> I just think that was really a good way to really think about it too. Cause it is a lifelong journey too. Right. For that right. authenticity, especially when it's when, it, when we get put down, right. From people to, if we try to be ourselves. Yeah. Like um, to be myself, to speak out, to speak out what really matters. I'm being challenged by some people that I love. Like, you know, let's say in some families, like I'm the only one that went to college. Right. So in, the, in my family system, then it's like I might be put down for like, oh, look at you. You think you're so big because you only went to, co- because you went to college. So it was like, well, I wanted to follow my curiosity and I had an opportunity. Let's say maybe I had a scholarship. But what makes that wrong about me? And then I, you know, then there's like shame for growing. So it can get really complicated for some of our clients. Is there any other, I guess, patterns or other things that make people stuck and not be able to be more authentic? Um, there's a number of different ways that we're not authentic. I think that comes up a lot in interpersonal relationships, especially in um, more intimate relationships. Like, it's not okay for me to, to give my opinion because I might get punished. So I just say yes a lot when I don't really mean it. And then I get, you know, sometimes abused in a more intimate relationship and I get stuck in, in those kinds of patterns because I, I don't have what it's going to take for me to be able to challenge whoever that other person is. 
and say that's not okay, you know, to stand up and say something like that's not okay with me, you can't, you can't do that, you can't treat me that way. You know, that's one area that we see it a lot. You know, as, as therapists, many people come to therapy because they're um, seeking to have new kinds of relationships. Another place in life where we often get challenged is like even in our health system, if you, you know, the doctor says so, but maybe you have questions, maybe you want a second opinion, and then you're taught, well, the doctor told you that, so why should you question it? That's true. Mm-hmm. So looking at areas in our lives where we've been encouraged not to question or not to ask. Or not to get therapy. Right. Like in our family, nobody goes to therapy. Are you kidding? <laughs> like that. Like that kind of a thing. Yeah. And then we we deal with that in the family, right? Right. You don't need to talk about your feelings. You know, like why can't you go to a friend? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's unfortunately. Then a lot of times it's those people that need it the most that don't end up. Right. <laughs> and therapy is hard. It is. It really is. I know you mentioned about being stuck in, in our own expectations as well. And in your book, you say our expectations get stuck when fear and a sense of forcing something to happen is present. They also get stuck when we expect something to happen at the expense of another. Can you expand more on this about our expectations? And Yeah. So I think I gave this example in the um, book, but I'm going to share a sweet little funny example about this. Um, it's a lit- so I was take- doing this book called E-Squared, and in it, it was different exercises to learn about the forces of the universe. So one of the exercises was to put out that you desire something. So in my way of this, manif- quote, manifesting this, I decided that I'm going to manifest flowers. But I figured that it was a safe bet because my realtor who sold me the house was coming to visit. So maybe she'll bring me flowers, right? So I could manifest, maybe I could manifest that. So now you can listen to how I'm thinking about it, how I've got it all planned out, but yet I'm, I'm pretending really. So this is not being very offended that I am practicing manifesting something. So, of course, my expectation did not get met. However, the funny story is that that day I got home, in the front of my house at the doorstep is a, a beautiful straw basket filled with jewelry, costume jewelry. And the gardener across the street said that he saw it at the end of the driveway, so he put it up by my door. I put out on Facebook, did anybody lose this? Nobody did. But every little piece of jewelry that was in there were these, you know, like beaded bracelets, but it had a little tag on it that said, one to keep and one to give. And um, there was a lot in that bag, and the straw bag was also very beautiful, so I realized a really good lesson is just because I put it out, it may not always come back to me the way I expect. That's true. 
<laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> so it's like, okay, not flowers, but I do get jewelry. Man, maybe I should put out that for flowers. I want some jewelry. <laughs> Right. That's great. No, that's that's so, a good story, though. Yeah. So in that story, why I'm, it's a lighter story than what shows up in our offices. But many times people um, have expectations of their loved ones. Like I remember one day being at work and client after client was struggling because somebody in their life did not do what they wanted. And I realized how much we each create our own struggle because I expect other people to show up a certain way and they don't. And I thought to myself, you know, if they let go of those expectations, they wouldn't need me, you know? But we get lost and caught in this forcing current will. So in the book, I talk about pride, self-will, and fear, these three primary faults that we have. And the forcing current of will is trying to push my way, my way of doing something, my way of life being a certain way onto another or in the in this example I gave onto, the, you know, the greater universe. And if I let go of expectations, um, well, like in Al-Anon, they say expectations lead to disappointments. Then if I let go of the expectation, then I will be able to also let go of a lot of disappointments. I'd be less disappointed with people in my life. Like, I expect you to behave a certain way, and you don't behave a certain way, then I'm disappointed in you, and then I'm angry at you, and then we get into this whole fight. I mean, you have to also hold it somewhat lightly in the fact that as parents, we do have certain desires or expectations or hopes for our children. And at the same time, we have to get to know them as humans and work with what skill set and what temperament they have themselves. You know, so there's a certain balance with that. Yeah, I was thinking that when you said expectation, I was just thinking of that parent-child dynamic, how much that could be go both ways, right? <laughs> right. So it's like... and. You know, I know like with desire, like um, I once studied with um, somebody who said there's three primary ingredients for manifesting desire, imagination, and expectation. So I need to expect that something greater may come, but I don't know the how or the why. Like I expect that I, you know, if I... um, do good hard work on myself, for example, I expect my life will be better. I don't know in what way or exactly how. And I think that in the book, I gave the example of my desire to have a child. And I worked really hard. I did all this visualization and seeing different healers and shamans and I didn't have the child that I expected to have, but I had the child that I was meant to have. And we were fortunate enough that we adopted, and I have a beautiful child. But it didn't come into our family system, our family system, shall I say, wasn't made up the way I was conditioned, the way my rule book taught me that, you know, you get married and you have a baby. But it didn't come the way I expected it to. But my desire certainly got met, and it's been a very rich life. 
right? Yeah, we can still get what we want, not necessarily the same path we expect. Right, so part of it is to, that's where my intuition, and it's funny that I went to see this Broadway show called Babies, and my, somehow my intuition told me I was going to be like the couple that um, didn't give birth to, like have a birth baby. I don't know whether they adopted in the the show or not. So years later, I spoke to my, um, one of my teachers, Reverend Alt, about it. And I said, like, how did did I know then? Like, did I plant a seed or was that seed organically already there? Like, we don't always know all these details. But we do know that we have to do good work on ourselves for the best outcome. Yeah, I trust the process. Right. That's the hardest part. (laughs) Right. So there's a sweet quote that I have right here in front of me. Can I read? So um, I was at a workshop the other day, and somebody read this quote from, I think it was Mother Teresa. When there is light in your soul, there will be beauty in the person. When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. When there's order in the nation, there will be peace in this world. Oh, wow. Yeah. I could feel that. What I love about it is that relates to the book and that we each need to do our own work to help bring out our light. You know, as therapists, we need to do our own work on ourselves to also give more light in the sessions when we're sitting with our clients. Awesome. That's a great way to put that, too. So that's what what made me think of it is, like, I need to do my own work to let go of my forcing current expectations, to have a very soft, surrendered expectation, so that my expectation can align with the greater good of all those involved. It's all connected, right? Right. I know you mentioned you use what's called self-spotting. You mentioned that in the book. Can you share? I know you said there was an exercise in the book about that, right? Can you, sh- yeah. can you share what that is for those that aren't aware and, and how, how it could help therapists too? Oh, for sure. So self-spotting is a chapter that is written in uh, Dr. David Green's book um, on brain spotting. And what it is, is it's a way of us finding an eye position. So if you right now, for example, look around and just see something pleasant that you enjoy looking at. And when you look in that direction or at that something, you feel a little bit more present or calm and you let yourself gaze at it. Then you do something to help you feel a little bit more grounded and calm and connected in your body. So I'm not giving this exactly, exactly. I I can repeat it, but um, But by doing that, it's based on the idea that where we look affects how we feel. So if I can look in a certain position and I gaze there and just allow my eyes to settle, you know, one place that we ground is in our eyes and our our feet, our hands, our skin, our whole bodies. Then if I bring something that's disturbing to my mind, I'm bringing it. To a just to a grounded eye 
spot that I'm looking at, because where I look affects how I feel, it's going to help me um, contemplate through in a very focused mindfulness way, whatever it is that's um, upsetting to me. And if I keep gazing in that direction, my thoughts will start to shift and move and change on that upsetting something. So we call that self-spotting because it's not with a therapist. So it's different than traditional brain spotting therapy in that we're finding a eye position that helps us feel most calm, grounded, and connected. And then we're strengthening that grounding space before we bring up an issue to work with. Where in a brain spotting session, you're starting with a just disruptive or upsetting, shall we say, issue. Like you, could, I came to therapy today to work on the fact that um, I can't get over my, my the road rage that I've been feeling by all these people driving the car, their cars and cutting me off. And the other day, I actually went and um, screamed at somebody. And so you would have a brain spotting session, let's say, on that that whatever that upset is. But in the if I was going to self-spot that, I would not start with the idea that I'm furious and frustrated. I'm just going to start with, you know, finding a way to calm myself down and then bring the idea that I get frustrated at drivers. Does that make sense, Chris, to you? Oh, yeah. The difference? Definitely. So can you ask me a question that might help, like, people who don't know about brain spotting at all? And I think part of it, too, isn't it finding that spot in their body, too, that feels calm, that internal awareness? For the self-spotting and for the brain spotting, we, well, in brain spotting, we work with either an upset body spot or a calm, grounded body spot. But in self-spotting, we only work with where do I feel like let's take right now in this second, where do I feel most calm, grounded, and connected? Okay, wherever it is for you, let's say for myself, it's in my sit bones. And now I'm going to move my eyes in my environment gently around to see where my eyes want to gaze that help me connect to this my sit bones. So first I'm finding the body spot where I feel most calm, grounded, and connected. And I can do that with my eyes open or closed. And then I want to very gently open my eyes and let them gaze on a spot that connects to my sit bones or whatever body spot it is for you. And I just want to preface that, please, anybody listening to this, please do not do this while you're driving. We'll have in the show notes another a little video that you can watch it another time. And then... Um, so once you feel that calm, grounded spot in your body, and you open your eyes and you gaze in an eye position that connects to that, you want to do something to just sort of wiggle around, wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, some way to kind of just get really more settled in your body while your eyes are gazing at that spot, go back to that spot. If you run off it, let your eyes just go gaze back on it. And then bring your awareness back to that body grounded spot that you were feeling. And then from that place, just notice how it feels to be calm and grounded and connected in your body. As you breathe in and out, feeling that calm, grounded, connected space. Bring up something 
that is calling your attention now. And if you want, you can go along with the idea that we have in the book, which is to listen to our bodies. So you can just very gently bring your awareness to a part of your body that feels some tension or distress. Just focusing your attention there without judgment or expectation. And then just notice this spot in your body as if it was saying to you, hello, I hear you, I see you. You just want to be with this part of your body that's feeling that tension and greet it with no judgment or expectation. And just try to get to know it. Does it have a color or a sound? Maybe a tone or a texture? And if you could sense it like a part of you, you can say, hello, what is it that you want to show me? Just keeping your eyes on that calm, grounded spot. Get curious about this. And as you're doing this, just let your mind wander and go wherever it needs to go. It might go to a shopping list and come back to your body. However you need to function around this, let yourself follow your body's and your mind's own intuition. And just every now and then, check back to that grounded body spot. If your eyes shift, that's okay too. You want, you can double check back to this eye position you started with. You don't need to. And just keep doing this for a while. Just focusing on your breath, noticing if it's shallow or deep. You keep breathing in and out. You remain curious and stay with it as long as you like. And when you're ever you're ready, you can scan back to your body and notice if there's any difference between the tensions. So you can pause now if you're listening to this and you can come back to it. Or you can continue with this because I'm aware that this is a podcast. <laughs> um, right. But when you come back and as you end, and just taking all the time you need, but when you do come back, you may want to um, do some writing or some drawing from this body part to write down any takeaways. And also before you fully end, I highly recommend that you kind of move rotating your different joints and taking a few deep breaths and looking around and rolling like your neck, your shoulders, your wrists, your fingers, your toes, your arms, and just kind of waking up back into your body. So I just want to say for therapists, if you have a challenging session or you're feeling very tense in between sessions or after work, this is a great way to hear a little bit more from whatever you might have internalized. That was lovely. Thank you. I hope all the listeners like that too. I find self-spotting so helpful and I'm currently being certified in brain spotting and, and Heidi, who um, is my awesome consultant, she actually helped me out to, to learn how to do this with a d very difficult case I had. And it, it just, one, if you've had one of those days where you have a case where you can't let it go and it's still holding on and then you, st you know, those internal things like Cynthia mentioned that doubting myself, like 
do I know what I'm doing? Like, where am I going to go with this client? And struggling, struggling. And then just it allows some kind of release when you do this, self-spotting. But it's, it's an amazing practice. It really is. Yeah. So we can, I don't know if you have show notes that yes. we can put like a, um, a little five minute video to guide people. Oh, do you have that? Yeah, I have it on a YouTube. Excellent. I can give you. Yeah, if you can send me that link, I'll definitely put that in the show notes so everybody right. can follow along. Wow, I feel better yes. already. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? So one thing you asked me about what's coming up is I do have, by the way, a phase one training for anybody not training in yes. spotting. But after that phase one, there's also what we call clearing limbic countertransference. So when we are getting caught up, or we're feeling burnt out, lots of times we're holding stuff around our practice or about our practice that's going to get stuck inside us. And this training is really geared towards us doing our own work to clear it out. So that's coming up, I think, in April. Yes. And I think brain spotting is a great modality. I'm just going to say my experience has been the most effective, wonderful strategy with clients. But also, just like you learned today, you can do it for yourself, for your own self-care. Yeah, it's wonderful for your own self-care. And you can also do it with listening to bilateral sound. So you put headphones on while you're doing it, and that really helps a lot, too. Yes, definitely. So what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? And they're welcome to come to my web site www.synthesis.com and um there's you know just information about me they can get the book on there so the other thing that we just started is this um five-month intensive called financial flow and we'll be starting it up again in nice. the later part of this spring for therapists and you don't have to be a brain spotting therapist but we do use a lot of self-spotting in it um, but it's for any therapist or mental health or uh, healthcare practitioner of any kind that wants to really work on um, their relationship to money. Excellent. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. But thank you so much, Thanks. Cynthia, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Oh, it's so much fun to spend time with you. Yes. Thanks a lot for asking. Absolutely. And to my listeners, did you find this episode helpful? Please support the show by rating and reviewing today. And I also invite you to join my Facebook group, the Holistic Counseling and Self-Care Group, where you can gain support, connection, and more resources on adding holistic practices personally and professionally. This is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holistic Counseling Podcast. If you are loving this podcast, please share with your colleagues so we can continue to grow our holistic community. Also, are you ready to take the next step to create an integrative counseling practice? I invite you to sign up for my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, and how to manifest your dream practice. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com, scroll down and enter your name and email address today. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.